Hello and welcome back to The Rewind. I'm Josh and this is a podcast where I watch a bunch of movies and talk about them with my friends. Today's episode is about Spider-Man No Way Home and rejoining me, it's Marvel correspondent Maya after a, a few months of a hiatus. Maya, thank you for being back here. I'm very excited to talk about this. I'm very excited to talk about it too and thanks for welcoming me back. Yeah, so uh, it's worked out well. Maya, I had, had, uh, had fled the country, but we, but she hadn't made us forget about her. So uh, luckily, we still knew that she could uh, she could come back. And uh, like, who knows? Maybe Tom Holland will come back. We'll talk about that later. It's, Spider-Man No Way Home, though, is the third movie in the uh, MCU Sony uh, Alliance trilogy of Spider-Man movies, whatever you want to call it, starring Tom Holland. It picks up literally right after uh, where 2019's uh, Far From Home left off when uh, J. Jonah Jameson has revealed to the entire world that Peter Parker is Spider-Man, thanks to, uh, and and then he's a wanted man, thanks to Quentin Beck kind of framing him uh, for a murder. He does not like the effect that this has on his life. And uh, actually, you know, even before I go any further, uh, this is a this is a, a totally spoilery discussion where uh, a billion dollars worth of people have already seen this movie and it's going to take a lot of effort for me to like not spoil stuff. So we're doing that now. So I don't by the time I post this, the movie will have been out for two weeks. I don't expect anyone that cares about seeing it to have not seen it. So we are going to spoil everything. It's happening, y'all. It's happening. Spoilers yeah, yeah. are coming. Yeah. So but to continue, uh, it, as I said, it picks up right where far from home left off when Quentin Beck uh, framed Peter Parker for murder, uh, though, oddly enough, even though like about like 15 minutes into this movie he or not even 15 minutes in this movie he is kind of like cleared of that cleared of that murder but at the same time he's he's cleared of that murder thanks in large part to the help of Matt Murdock who uh uh played by Charlie Cox who we know from the Netflix Daredevil show and uh which is a big deal because like there hadn't been a lot of crossover at all really just references in those Netflix shows to the MCU so that was a really big revelation but despite the fact that Matt Murdock helps Peter kind of get get out of things he is like just uh, being hounded because of this revelation and it's, it's disrupting his daily life. He has to go hang out at happy Hogan's bachelor pad uh, just to like kind of get away from things though. It seems like the school is a little bit of a safe haven, uh, but he still, doesn't it, get into MIT. Yeah. Because of the, because of that backlash of uh, people now, like not being sure how they feel about Spider-Man him, neither him nor Ned nor MJ get into MIT. So, cause they're associated with him now. So uh, that is just like, it is a, is a very sad thing. He doesn't like that. You know, his actual identity is starting to negatively affect his friends. So uh, looking for a way out, a way to kind of reverse course on this, he goes to his old friend, Dr. Strange to ask him to, um, you know, Hey, can you, you can do lots of kind of spells. Can you reverse this spell? Uh, make sure that like no one knows that I'm Spider-Man. He's like, sure. He starts doing the spell and he's like, wait, well, I still want MJ to know. I still want Ned to know. And then he's, want just, to know. he's doing the spell and he's like, oh no, I want Ant-Man to know. And he's like, and so he's like, basically only the people that knew before. And the, because he kept trying to, you know, change Dr. Strange's spell and process that kind of screws things up. Uh, Dr. Strange's spell doesn't go exactly according to plan. It, it, it further opens up the multiverse, I guess, even more so than it was uh, at the end of Loki. Uh, so all of a sudden we're starting to get, uh, we, we get a lot of visits from, you know, different Spider-Man villains of past fr- from all the prior Spider-Man movies, even predating the MCU, whether it be William Defoe's Green Goblin, Alfred Molina's Doc Ock, uh, Jamie Foxx's Mac Dillon slash Electro, Max Dillon slash Electro, Thomas Hayden Church's Sandman, Resiphon's Lizard. So these guys come through and and as had been long speculated, this also uh, ultimately kind of leads to uh, the prior to Spider-Man coming into live action Spider-Man coming into play as well. Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield Spider-Mans, who I guess within the scope of this movie come to be known as like Peter 2 and Peter 3, respectively. Uh mm-hmm. 
and they, they end up, you know, having to like having to fight these villains, though. The reason why they end up having to do it is honestly my, my one big nitpick, nit to pick with this entire movie. And uh, we, we'll, we'll get into that, too. But I, I don't want to like kind of drone on too long because there's a lot to this movie and I could talk for another five minutes trying to summarize stuff. But instead, I'd rather ask you, Maya, as someone that I'm sure had very high expectations for this movie, had heard some of the swirling rumors, though it sounds like you, like me, had done a pretty good job of filtering out most of the stuff besides the big stuff. I'm sure you were extremely hyped for this. Did this movie uh, live up to the hype for you? Absolutely. I, I think, especially because I remember, and, and ironically, I watched this movie. This is the first movie I have actually gone to theaters to since the beginning of the pandemic. So there's something that's going to get Maya back. It was this. This was it. This was the movie. I still haven't seen Eternals. So this is the movie that was going to get me back into the theaters. And you know what? I, whatever happens, unfortunately, it was definitely worth it because I got to see this movie in the same exact theater that I saw the original 2002 Spider-Man and the Amazing Spider-Man, every sequel that came after all of those. So for me, it was very much a full circle moment coming to see everybody together in the same theater that I watched it when I was 10 years old. So I, I I think that for a lot of people who are watching this movie who are maybe younger, they don't necessarily have the emotional attachment to the original two Spider-Men that, um, you know, kids our age definitely do. And, you know, people who are older than us. Um, well, I'd also say this, movie. I'd also say this in people like me who just, might actually follow the MCU really closely, but for whatever yeah. reason, like just uh, maybe didn't have the same attachment to the other Spider-Man movie for one reason or another, but who follow superhero stuff well right now. So this is like, people were coming into this with various different levels of nostalgia. Yeah. I liked Spider-Man before it was cool. I mean, that's <laughs> uh, re- realistically speaking, like this was a movie for everybody. It, there, there's just something about the nostalgia factor that definitely hit me, but there's something about getting creative with seeing three different people and three different cinematic universes come together um there's just something so unique about it that it hasn't really been done before and they they went there i mean there was speculation that they were going to do it people thought it was a little bit outlandish you know kevin feige didn't have the the cojones to do it and lo and behold he did so here we are we have andrew garfield redeeming himself we have toby mcguire becoming uncle ben it was wonderful well you know, I think the thing, cool thing for me being that I fall into that demographic of people I just described who, like, I mean, I, I just, I saw the first two Spider-Man movies, like, way back around the time they came out. I never saw Spider-Man 3. I don't know why. It came out when I was in high school at a time when, I guess, in 2017, when I would have been old enough to drive. I was seeing movies then. But for some reason, I, I just I just don't think I, I just never did. And uh, and I, I didn't see Amazing Spider-Man in theaters. I saw it, like, in a fraternity house, like, a few, like, six months after it came out and didn't really like do enough do all that much for me so i guess i never made it a priority to see amazing spider-man 2 which i mean I, maybe it was just the reviews at the time were just so negative that like based on it was, my it was so bad based on it my, was really bad based on my may experience with the first garfield one i was like i don't do i really need to do this so i i would have done my homework if i had known that these guys were going to be in half of this movie uh yeah. and so but like the fact is what impressed me so much about this was that like i was worried like I'd heard all the same rumors that everyone else did. So I was right. Oh, this is going to be like one. I assumed that like these guys were going to make like a cameo cameo. They were going to recreate the Spider-Man meme, which they kind of do the pointing meme. And that they, yeah. And that, and that they would just go away. And like it, I was like, all right, well, hopefully it's not just a bunch of forced fan service along with that kind of thing. If you told me though, it wasn't that, but that like these guys were going to be in a bunch of the movie. I was going to be like, maybe I won't like that kind of part of the movie, but I think like, 
I, I, the fact that they actually like really put thought into like making that half of the movie actually like really really like emotionally resonant and that it resonated that much with me despite the fact that i hadn't seen all of those other guys movies i think that was like what impressed me the most and i was just like wow like they didn't just do this as some kind of stunt they like actually really did it the right way and that's what impressed me the most yeah i think also there's there's uh creativity that they went into it and you know i and you know without going too much into this is obviously the best part of the movie right but without going too much into it think about the andrew garfield amazing spider-man universe is he was such a fantastic peter parker um i'm sorry spider-man terrible peter parker and he had a script that failed him and that was the unfortunate part about it because nobody denied that he had an amazing acting skill but he had a, a script that just was it tanked the third movie never ended up getting um off the ground and then they ended up replacing him a year later with tom holland so it was a little bit like him coming back home and actually redeeming you know getting redeemed and you know getting what was owed to him. And ironically, Tobey Maguire had a fourth movie that was coming up. They canceled it. And then that's when they ended up getting placed with Andrew Garfield. Ironically, that fourth movie, he was going to be replaced with none other than Jake Gyllenhaal. So realistically speaking, when you have, you know, these two guys who were just completely butchered by the movie studios, having them come in and really have a massive part in this movie, I hope that they were paid handsomely for it. Don't get me wrong, but it, it really it did a good service to them as actors, showing how valued they were in their roles versus the movie studios that just cut them unceremoniously. Well, actually, I actually rewatched Spider-Man two uh, this morning since it was the one you said would be best to rewatch, and I was like on the Wikipedia for that, and I guess it was it was actually Jillian Hall was maybe going to come in for the second one because Toby had like hurt his back during the production of Seabiscuit. That's right. That's and, right. That's right. Uh, they, they weren't sure if he was going to be able to make it. Uh, but, and then they were going to go get Hall, who like apparently notoriously like went out for a lot of different types of superhero movies and it never worked out. It's great that he had such a great career up until he, uh, was able to do Quentin Beck. But I, I, I'm curious, I, I want to go back on one thing you touch back, touch back on one thing you said there. And that like, I think we had some kind of discussion. I feel like we might've had, I don't know if we had a discussion about it when we talked about far from home or when we talked about into the spider verse, but or maybe it was, we did far from home. I don't know, but I think and maybe it was in reference to Garfield, but you said he was a terrible Peter Parker. And I want to know what you mean by that, because I'm curious, like, I, I don't have all as many reference points for this because I've only seen the two Toby movies and I've seen this and I, I've seen and, and the last time I saw The Amazing Spider-Man was like nine years ago. What does it mean to be a great Spider-Man, but not a good Peter Parker? Because I, I I thought like I really liked his performance when I rewatched that movie because I, I, like I said, I, I rewatched Amazing Spider-Man 2 also the other day just because like it seemed like that like the fact that like the him saving uh mj in the, the new movie like even was meant anything to me like or was worked at all for me despite not having seen amazing spider-man 2 was impressive enough and then i i got why people freaked out when i watched amazing spider-man 2 but i'm wondering yeah. like what what to you makes a good peter parker and, and just to give context to that point that you just said just for people who don't know um it's not necessarily worth watching The Amazing Spider-Man 2, but Andrew Garfield and Emma Stone were actually dating at the time. She played Gwen Stacy, who is an alternate love interest for Peter Parker. And at the end of that movie, she fell off a building and died. And they, they killed her off of the movie. I'm sure that they were going to bring her back in, you know, The Amazing Spider-Man 3 as her notorious, you know, character, uh, Spider-Gwen, but that never ended up happening. So in, in her, his universe, she is dead. In uh, this movie that just came out, he ends up saving MJ, who is falling from a bridge, and he has a very touching moment with her where he really shows his acting chops. And I'm going to put this out there. 
Andrew Garfield, if you are listening to this, you know, podcast right now, I love you, man. You are fantastic in everything that you do. I think he's one of the most talented actors out there, but you can't lift a script that is garbage off of the ground. And that was unfortunately what happened with him with the amazing Spider-Man, the amazing Spider-Man two. It was just a terrible, terrible script that did not do the character of Peter Parker, any service, you know, he's supposed to be this kind of, you know, shy, nerdy, goofy guy. And then he kind of comes to his own and comes, you know, more, more gregariously in Spider-Man with, you know, these goofy quips. So Tom Holland nails that. I mean, he is absolutely fantastic. Meanwhile, Tobey Maguire as Peter Parker is the the definition of a lovable nerd. You know, um, if if people haven't watched the first Spider-Man movie, um, definitely go ahead. Flash Thompson is played by, God, what is his name? Oh my God, um, married oh. to Sofia Vergara. Oh, married to Sofia Vergara. Oh, Joe Mangiello. Yeah, Joe Manganiello plays Flash Thompson in the original Spider-Man movie. So he plays the the kind of the nerdy guy who, you know, is lovable nonetheless um, so well. But his um, notorious performance in Spider-Man 3 as uh, as, as Spider-Man just kind of ruined it for everything. He just he wasn't that great about it. Um, I, and I know that it sounds like an awkward thing, but it's kind of like a canonized thing with Marvel fans that Toby was a fantastic Peter Parker, terrible Spider-Man. Andrew was amazing Spider-Man, terrible Peter Parker. It just is what it is. And then Tom Holland is the beautiful love child between the two of them. Yeah, I, I, okay. Now, I, I gather what you're saying. It's more on just how they wrote the character than anything he personally did. I, I, yeah, I, no, the, I, the, yeah. Actor, the actors are both very, very talented. I, 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 I think, was happy I, to see them. I think I just liked them in the Peter Parker mode, though, when I rewatched Amazing Spider-Man 2, because, I mean, and maybe it has something to do with the fact they were dating, but, like, he, he, like, he has really great chemistry with Emma Stone within the movie. Yeah. So I think he's, like, very charming in those moments, though the movie is just, like, not very good. And it's sad because, like, I think he's probably, I, in my opinion, he's probably objectively the best of these three actors. And uh, oh, I and, hope he's winning an Oscar this year. Honestly, I re- I really truly hope that he gets the Oscar for Tick Tick Boom. Mm-hmm. And he was also um, I, I enjoyed him in in the eyes of Tammy Faye as well. Uh, had had a very interesting year. He's overall having for, a year. He's having for, a year. That's true for him. Yeah. So I mean, I I, I yeah. That's I was kind of curious what you were saying because it was obviously a big part of this movie to like even bring three Peters back. So I was curious what you meant by that. And I think one of the coolest things the movie did was like I mean. I, what were you so you saw it two nights ago how how full was your theater uh pretty full um it was it was ridiculously full actually um but just really quick touch point by the way they did uh touch on that in the movie if you notice toby Maguire's uh spider-man did not show his outfit until right before the final battle he was wearing his uncle ben outfit the entire time because he is more of the Peter Parker type. Meanwhile, Andrew Garfield is shown immediately in his Spider-Man outfit. So they, they do touch on that. They try and distinguish the characters. Well, isn't also like, I mean, I guess uh, we're led to believe that like, you know, based on what they say there, that uh, Toby's Spider-Man, like it still has some kind of relationship with MJ based on what he says there. And that yeah. maybe, he, maybe he's moved on to some different part of his life. Maybe he still does the fight, crime fighting every now and then and stuff like that. But like, uh, whereas like, I think this is the sad thing is that like, Andrew Garfield Spider-Man 
it's implied that he's probably like kind of out there being a loner just fighting crime and hasn't really moved on from Gwen's death. He says he doesn't have anyone right now. And uh, I think th- there's a lot of backstory you can easily infer from that. And it's yeah. kind of sad. It's kind of sad. And I think Toby, I mean, yeah, maybe it has something to do with Toby being considered a better Peter and Garfield being considered a better Spider-Man, but it also kind of like makes sense for where, the, where, le- where we left off with those characters that I would agree um, with that. Um, that one would be like more likely to just be, be out there fighting when uh, Ned happens to inexplicably like learn how to open a portal. Uh, like I'm that. happy for him, by the way. Though I guess that you could say that he's not like he learned how to perfectly do it because he kind of went into the wrong dimension. Um, well, well. Uh, to be fair, they're also I think trying to lead Ned up to his future. There's a character named Ned in the comic books that plays a character called Hobgoblin. Mm-hmm. Um, so they might be leading him up to that, and also. Um, Jacob Batalon, notoriously, he lost about like 110 pounds or something. He looks fantastic. So I'm hoping that he is just coming into his own so he can um, either, you know, work under the, um, you know, the Doctor Strange universe and, you know, under Wong as the, um, my brain's not working. Sorcerer Supreme. Yeah, yeah. So I want to back up now and uh, go back a little bit towards the beginning uh, where, first of all, I mean, I I, I don't have to have a long discussion about it, but I I don't really know if it's like the most realistic thing for, not that any of this is realistic, but the most believable thing for Doctor Strange to mess up that spell. But if we're just going to stipulate the fact that he does. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I think about it this way. He touches upon this. He said that he blipped. He comes back from the blip. He's acting super weird. And all of a sudden, Wong is the Sorcerer Supreme. He's pissed. He, he is not himself. He is out of sorts. And I think that they're going to touch upon that in Doctor Strange. Um, in the after credit scene, for um, those of you know you who did not say until the end, there's an after credit scene. That's the trailer for Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. You see that he comes back from the blip. And Christine is getting married. So he might be dealing with depression right now. They might be touching upon that in that universe. So it is not, to me, a surprise that he was not acting in his right mind. Yeah, and there's all the, you know, potential tie-ins to what if. But I guess that's a, I guess, I guess that's a good argument right there. And that, like, it, I guess maybe things weren't right for him after he came back from the blip, even if, like, you know, he seemed to be operating at the peak of his powers in the final battle at Endgame. I don't think that he knew immediately that what had happened. He comes back and then he sees that people are, you know, needing help. So he goes back into it. I'm sure that there, there has to be a way where they touch upon that. They did that in Hawkeye where they uh, discussed what people coming back from the blip and having sort of their reaction to it. So I think that that is a very understated, I, I'm going to say an understated part of this entire universe that people are finally getting to right now, which is fantastic because let's be realistic. If you, you know, disappear and you reappear as if nothing ever happened, you find out five years have passed. Aren't you going to be a little bit depressed if everybody moved on without you? Sure. Yeah, I, I suppose there, 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 I guess there are a few different things that could have had him off his game though. I was just like, yeah, it seems, it's, it seems like a little bit of a stretch that he would agree to this, but also that, but maybe we could learn a little bit more about him in the, in the next movie that would kind of explain some of that. I, yeah. I, 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 I didn't actually realize until maybe I, maybe I did and I just forgotten, but, but I didn't know until we got the, until we got that trailer that, that, that was the next one coming. For some reason I thought Thor Love and Thunder was next. Um, and no, that's in the summer, I think. Yeah, maybe it was just like maybe at some point the dates got pushed back because of the pandemic. And- I, I think Thor Love and Thunder was supposed to be in December and they ended up pushing it back because of the pandemic. But I think it does make more sense because there's so much dealing with the multiverse. And I mean, like my theory is, by the way, that all the cracks in the multiverse are happening simultaneously. 
that there that there it's not one after the other after the other. I, that everything with Loki and with WandaVision and with uh, the end of Spider Man into the Spider uh, sorry not Spider Man into the Spider Man uh, No Way Home. I think that they all happen simultaneously, and I think that they're trying to hint towards that more often uh, throughout the the cinematic universe opening up. I, I will be interested to see how they can backdoor anything that will like uh, help, help me un- understand Doctor Strange messing that up. But again, I didn't that that in the grand scheme of things didn't bother me that much. I, I I'm curious though, uh, what did you think of the reintroduction of like some of these various villains? Again, some of that wasn't like I mean Doc Ock was in the trailer, so it's not like that was a super big surprise. But like how what was it like for you like actually seeing these people come back? Did you because uh, like obviously Doc Ock and Green Goblin are uh, uh, just uh, have more of a lasting impact than the other ones we had there. So they, they understandably get more of the screen time. What did you think about like how they came back and the storytelling choices that kind of led to their uh, inclusion in the story throughout? Yeah. So I, I'm going to say um, backing up a little bit in the comic book lore, there is a very popular um, villain group um, who fights against Spider-Man called the Sinister Sticks. Right. Six, um, and they, they sort of, uh, they're leading you into it without going full force because I think it's a little bit, um, it's gamey almost. Uh, they had a Spider-Man musical that I was lucky enough to see on Broadway. Um, and the whole premise of it was Spider-Man versus the Sinister Six. And it was exactly as campy as you thought it was going to be. Um, so I think the way that they had to sort of put, all right, how does Spider-Man fight the big bad um, without going too campy? This is the way to do it. Um, I think that bringing back all of these powerful actors into the roles that you know you you know them best by is one way to sort of in the same exact way with Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire is to sort of um you know give pay them homage to give them their due and to get them um to close the storylines the way that you needed to um versus and it was it was almost upsetting that in you know the first movie Green Goblin dies, second movie Doc Ock dies. It's 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 upsetting because these are such great actors, such great villains, and you want them to come back. And exactly in the comic books, they never stay dead. So you might as well have some creativity while at the same time fixing the flaws of the original movies. Case in point, Jamie Foxx's Electro had this weird blue skin. That they ended up, um, they and he, he he's saying he's like the energy here is different. The energy here is different. So what happens? He no longer has blue skin. He has a little, um, you know, star mask that's very similar to his comic book character. Um, so I, I think that that the acting aside, which was just absolutely fantastic, I was almost sad that I didn't see more um, rice. I th- I don't know how to pronounce his name. I think, but I I think it's it. I think it's Reese Siphons. Reciphons. I was watching Notting Hill the other day, so I, I'm happy that he was there. I completely forgot that he was Kurt Connors. Um, but I it's like seeing these char- these actors who are just they're so powerful. And this cast alone, I mean, you have Charlie Cox, you have um even people like Martin Starr and Hannibal Burris. You have such a good cast in this movie. Everybody came to play. I, I just you you can't help but um enjoy the ride. And, and I think if you look too much into it and look too much into the Oh well, let's uh, let's think a little bit more logically about how this is going to be happening. Why this is happening with the multiverse? I think you're, you're and I see this. Every, I feel like every single time when I'm on the podcast, the thing about comic books is it doesn't have to be 100% logical. You, it has to be fun and it has to be entertaining. And I think that 
this accomplish that? Okay, so as far as the multiverse, I, one thing I meant to say off the top, because uh, I'm, I'm I am going to be a little more critical of the logic, but what, please, but 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 not the multiverse logic, which is what I was afraid I was going to like have a really big bone to pick with. Like I, I've maybe been a little less scared of heading towards the because like I'm just worried a multiverse is going to like create a world where like people die and then people come back and then all, it robs all the death all all the deaths of any stakes. Just like I was my big problem, as you recall, at the end of Infinity War. Like I'm worried it's going to be like that on steroids. If we can just open up anything and bring back anyone at any time, I'm just not going to care as much. And contracts that, are more important than logic when it comes to that universe. Let's just put it like right, that. Right. And I, I'm kind of worried it would be that. It, one, I'm, I'm one, I'm worried about that. Two, I'm just worried about like it being too convoluted. And I thought that that, that was my biggest fear with this movie uh, beyond any kind of like are, how, how they shoehorn in old characters was just like, is it going to get like too convoluted for its own good? And I didn't think it did. Like it all kind of tracked for me as far as what they were doing. Like if they didn't make it too complicated, it's like, oh, they just brought them in from somewhere else because the spell got messed up. They're here that and then we can send them back. That's all we got to worry about. So I really appreciated the way the movie handled all of that stuff. Like I, I just wasn't like as lost in it or as like overwhelmed with it as I could have expected to be with the multiverse. And coming in, I was already like easing up on my concern with that because I like, I just enjoyed the end of Loki and I enjoyed Kang and I'm excited for him. So it's like, even if some of this stuff is confusing again, like you said, I'm going to get to have fun watching him. However, I think the one thing that kind of bothered me was that like uh, two thirds of the way through this movie, I had the thought like, wait, why are we doing this? Because I was like, wait, what are we supposed to be doing with these villains? Like, I thought they were all in cages. Like, what is going on? And I, the, the whole thing with, like, Peter deciding he is going to save them because Aunt May said, hey, you should save them. That was all very rushed for me. And I don't think it was set up that well as to, like, why that was a thing he had to do. And I know they said that they would be sending them back to their deaths if they did send them back. So why not try and fix them? But like Peter has like no connection to these dudes. I, I was listening to another podcast where they made the, the a lot of people are actually talk, well, at least a lot of podcasts I've listened to have kind of like dwelled on this point, some more critical than others. But they're saying like, look, the way you don't want to worry about this is this is something that's consistent with Peter's character. Like it he is would, consistent with Peter's character. He, he would he, try and save them. He, he would try and save them. And because that's just who he is. And also Aunt May, clearly they're wanting to like kind of they want to play off the fact that she's a bit of an activist. She's a bleeding heart. She would want to do something like that, too. So my thing was that like, I get it, but it's still like incredibly dumb. It's like he at that point knows that they're villains and I get it. Like Peter does but dumb stuff. He doesn't stuff. know them. That's the thing. He doesn't know how villainous they are. And, and I, I am going to agree with the point that um, at the end of the day, it is part of his character. It is part of the, you know, with great power comes great responsibility. His responsibility is to do good, especially when the entire world thinks that he's doing bad. So how else can he redeem himself with everybody thinking that he, you know, killed Mysterio and he tried to set fire to the entire world? How better for him to do that than to try and redeem all these other villains and just try and show people well, well, that he is good? Well, well, the people in his world don't even know who those villains are. And so that wouldn't really mean that much to them in the first place would be what I would say to that. But also, uh, he just lived – the last two movies we've seen him in uh, – or three movies if you want to say that. Like he just kind of lived through the world ending and endgame. Uh, and then right after that, he ends up because – of, because of him being Spider-Man, he ends up putting like – a lot of the people he loves at risk again in uh and no not 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 he does it intentionally but you know like mj and ned kind of get pulled into his orbit as as does his whole class and they kind of barely escape that unscathed it's like at this point like i want him to like have learned to not do stupid shit is my thing and he's i want him to be kid. he's 17 
he's 17 or 18, whatever. He's old enough to go to college. Like, I want you to learn something and not old enough to apply to college, whatever. Like these kids are smart. (laughs) These kids are getting an MIT. They could have got, they're smart enough. They could have gone to Florida when they were 16. Uh, No, no shots to our alma mater, but like they're they're smart. Like we're, we're being told us they're smart enough to go to MIT and teenagers that are going to MIT can do dumb stuff. But it was just like, man, that was like almost like a step too far because I don't think you needed to do it that way. Like once they were already there, like maybe they didn't have to capture them and have him free them. It just seemed like one step too far. And like, I, I didn't quite buy that. Like that was something that like, he really should feel compelled to do. It could have just I been. Have, that- I've, yeah. I have three words for you. Comic book logic. That That's literally the only way to describe this. It's comic book logic. Yeah. They could have just been wreaking havoc though. As soon as they came in and then he had to go fight them. Like I, I would have rather just been that instead of like, convolute i mean or comic book logic as you say like it just like it just like kind of gnawed at me and my friend kayla i was watching it with by the end like like we both really liked the movie but we're like yeah i don't really understand like why he had to do that he had to be really dumb to get the plot in motion and i just like don't like when my movie characters are dumb especially one that should have like learned a thing or two over the last six years that we've been seeing in these movies yeah yeah but again comic book logic He's a 70-year-old kid who is also bitten by a spider and now has superpowers. Hmm. I guess. I mean, again, I really like seeing all of these villains back to acting and in these roles. And I like how they all really gave it their all. And so I yeah, was to, happy. To, to this day, Willem Dafoe still gives me the heebie-jeebies as the goblin man. There's there's nobody who turns from nice guy to holy shit, <laughs> like, like Willem Dafoe. Do we actually think though that like that Norman Osborn was like actually like ever actually a good guy? That's what I've heard other people say is like we kind of buy that Doc Ock was a good guy based on what we see from Spider-Man 2. It's been a while since I've watched the first Spider-Man. Like, do we actually think he was like a legitimately like redeemable person even before the Green Goblin thing, or was he just like an evil capitalist? Redeemable, no. Good person, I think, uh good intentions, but regardless of the situation, when you're you know, when your invention gets the best of you and takes you over and you also have a, you know, slightly schizophrenic tendencies, you know, nothing's going to save you. I, and I, I will also, um, I'll throw out there, um, Alfred Molina, AKA Tevia, he is a good guy. And I, I love that he was playing both the, the villain and the protagonist in this movie. Um, this man has range. Uh, I, I'm tired that we're not talking enough about Alfred Molina. <laughs> I'm, I'm tired of it. Yeah. Again, cause I, I rewatched uh, Spider-Man two after seeing this. So like, I think I had forgotten like what the, what the more, um, genteel version of that guy is. And it was really cool to see him, you know, actually get to like be the one that got fixed. Um, that was cool. I mean, I don't want to have to think too long and hard about the implications for that timeline. Uh, if he is like, if he is fixed there, but regardless, I, and, but I also like how Willem Dafoe, he can turn on the charm as well, as we see when he is talking to Aunt May. Even if I don't like the, the, all the machinations going on at that point in the movie, it is kind of cool to see him like be able to just like be charming when we know and then, and, and then see what comes next. Because what comes next, obviously, is like uh, pretty terrifying at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, can we talk about Aunt May? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's certainly sad, but do you like how the movie did it? So I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna throw a shout out to my fiance who wanted this. This is the one thing that he wanted to say on the podcast was you can tell that Peter Parker was depressed because he switched from his Jordans to Vans after Aunt May died. Wow, that's a uh, something a true sneakerhead would see, I guess. It's something a true sneakerhead would say, yeah. But I I think that 
I'm going, no, I'm not going to lie to y'all. I didn't cry. I should have. I had every intention to, but it was a little, I felt like it was kind of predictable in, in some respects. So I couldn't do it. Well, so I was, I didn't necessarily find it predictable because I, not that they've ever had a long discussion about it in the, in the, what every movie that may have, Marissa Tomei's it may have showed up in so far. They've never had a real discussion about Uncle Ben in, in this universe, I think. He is and, the Uncle Ben. Uncle Ben is an archetype. Well, well, right. But I'd always just kind of assumed there was an Uncle Ben. But like, just like we give them, we just like we give Homecoming credit for not making us watch the spider bite again. Just like every Batman makes us watch Bruce and Martha get killed again. Like I was like, okay, like they're doing the smart thing here. They're not making us watch this again. Maybe in the same way, like we don't have to watch Uncle Ben get killed again, but maybe in the back of our heads, they just trust us to know there was an Uncle Ben. And that informs the relationship we see that he has with her. And that was good enough for me. So I will, I honestly didn't see it coming because of that. I'm just like, Oh, that's, that's the, that's the sad thing that's already happened in his life. And that is why he's so close to his aunt May because all they have is each other. And we just know something probably tragic happened in the past based on the other versions of the story we've seen. So I just wasn't necessarily prepared for that. I just thought like they've, that family's had their tragedy. I didn't know they were going to like push him even further. I've, I've been waiting for three movies for them to do something like this, unfortunately, because they, they, they put, her as the the bleeding heart good person who nurtures him as a parental figure put her in that position to be the archetype of him going going from boy to man it was going to happen they cast a young enough spider-man that it needed to happen eventually it doesn't necessarily need to be his origin story but i mean when andrew garfield and toby mcguire discuss their own turning points of when their uncle Ben died, you, you can tell that there's going to be something that's going to connect the three of them. And it's going to be beyond them being Spider-Man. It's what makes them Spider-Man. Well, she, she'd already, um, di- she'd already died at that point though. Yeah. But that's what I'm saying It's but at the same time, it connected all three of them. It was uncle Ben for Tobey Maguire. It was um, uncle Ben and also Gwen Stacy for Andrew Garfield. And then it's aunt May for Tom Holland. There's something that connects all three of these people to have something to, to push them forward and to make them want to do good for the world and to take the, the power that they have and to be responsible about it, not to, you know, butcher their words, but all three of them have that in common. It is a tenant of Spider-Man. It is just, a, it's a tenant of the, the character itself. So it was going to happen eventually. And you just don't think you cried because uh, you just saw it, it was just too predictable. Like you just kind of felt like you knew where the story was headed. I was more mad that they did it the way that they did. And she, she said, great power. There must also be, it was like, she, she said it differently. Well, apparently that's apparently, apparently, yeah, it's with great power. There must also come great responsibility. Apparently that's how, apparently that's how it reads in the comics from what I've heard. It is how it reads in the comics. It is how it reads in the comics. Well, the thing was like, I, that, that, that line, like, I didn't think they even needed to do that line. Like, you know, again, you you, you don't, that was the moment. You don't have to hit every same beat as these other movies. And it felt forced that they just had her kind of say that. And I, both me and my friend Kayla, who, were, who was with me, we just kind of groaned. We're like, oh, God, we saw it. That's coming. why I didn't cry. And it was That's so aw- it was so awkward because like the rest of the theater almost clapped for the line. It's like, yo, she's dying right now. Like, I get it. Like people like clap, people get excited at these new Marvel movies when characters pop up and all that. But like you don't got to clap because because of a line that was said in another movie while like a beloved character is dying. So that just kind of annoyed me as I was watching it as well. 
Yeah. <laughs> the, the thing that, that hit me the most and the thing that actually made me start tearing up is when Happy Hogan at the end of the movie sees Tom Holland. or I'm, I'm, I can't call him Peter Parker because they're all Peter Parker. You know what I mean? So uh, when, when Happy Hogan sees Tom Holland, he goes, how did you know her? And that got me. That got that got me because there's nothing that's more that someone can fear more than being forgotten. And I think that to to be forgotten when everybody else is living around you, I, I don't know where this is gonna lead this character, but I, I'm sad for him. Honestly, I am very sad for him. Yeah. I, I mean that was a it was a nice moment with Happy. I think the thing that made me cry oh the thing that made me come closest to crying would have been uh, the scene in the coffee shop at the end. I just thought that was very well done, and I was the, yeah. the best the best acting I've ever seen Tom Holland doing the role. Spoilers for the season finale of Hawkeye. There were two moments in the Hawkeye season finale where I came closer to crying than I did at anything in Spider Man. Uh, both the uh, bo- both the 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 Clinton Yelena scene and like uh, and Kate getting to go to the Barton Farm. Like I cried more at both of those than I did at anything in Spider Man. I don't know what that says about me. Uh, because like you look, you, it, it, it's not even just that it was like my girl Haley Seinfeld. One of those scenes didn't involve her, and it might we, we just have we have a long history with Clint. We don't have that long of a history with Yelena. We've known Peter longer than Yelena. We've known Aunt May longer than Yelena. And for some reason, I I found the, I found those scenes more affecting. The whistle that is a callback that you see in the Hawkeye season finale, but that's not like something that's like going to feel as on the nose as with great power there must also come great responsibility. It just felt too on the nose. I, I, I listen, I could not agree with you more. And I feel I feel bad that this is my my critique. This is my big critique on this movie, honestly, because well, I, I could not agree with you more that watching Hawkeye and seeing the moment where Yelena and Clint just, you know, they bond with each other. And then he realizes that she had no idea the actual um, situation that happened with them got me. It really got me. Well, but, do you, well, let me ask you, do you think they needed to do something like this? You saw something coming like this. Do you think they needed to push this Spider-Man to that dark of a place? Because I guess that had been like one kind of criticism people have, it seems like people have had was that like, this is almost too happy-go-lucky where it's supposed to be a struggle for this guy. Do you think they needed to yeah, do that? Absolutely. This, I mean, look, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do a quick little search right now to see how old Tom Holland is playing a 17-year-old. You know, he was born in 1996, so... I mean, it's about time. Well, thing is, I, one, one of the, I, I guess I, one, another thing I've seen in a couple of places, which I, I kind of agreed with was that like, this is like such a male dominated universe or the, the, these Spider-Man movies already. Like there's really only two relevant female characters. I, w- I wish Betty Brant had more to do because I love Angry Rice, but there's really no one besides uh, MJ and May. And it's like, maybe they should have just killed off Ned, you know? Uh, I get it. Like you yeah. said, I, well, I mean, if you want to kill someone, that means something to him. Cause it's like, it's, it's also one of those things where it's like a bit of a trope where from what I understand, as I read more about these earlier movies, like it was just a common thing that the woman got thrown off of buildings to get saved, even not counting Gwen Stacy, which is how someone ultimately died, but they just throw them around like rag dolls. They're there for Peter to protect them. They don't really have a lot going on outside of like being someone for Peter to talk to about uh, as a, as a love interest or just as like the Aunt May character is like, this is not a lot to these people. And it's like, they seem like they're building towards something more with uh, Marissa Tomei's Aunt May than they had done with the previous two. And uh, at this point, there's really only two relevant female characters in this world. And it's like, you're taking one off the board to like allow the male character to have something to overcome, which is like a trope in other types of pop culture as well. And it's like, could you have had some other dark barrier uh, thrown Peter's way? Would him having to have like, you know, would him having to have uh, made the decision to like vanish himself away from everyone that's ever known him would that have been enough of a 
like a, a, a tough thing to put this guy through that you didn't need to kill someone off. I mean, like him even making that choice in the first place to have everyone forget him. That means even more if it also means saying goodbye to May. So, like, I think there's arguments there that you could have, like, had him really go through the ringer without killing off one of the two female characters you have that, like, of any substance. I agree with you. It doesn't change the formula. The Hmm. formula needs to be the formula. This is, there's few comic book characters as beloved as Spider-Man. I mean, and I'm putting him up there. He is the best Marvel superhero. Sure. There is one thing that always happens in common. It is just a thing that, and, and I'm but not will, talking but, about but, Miles but, Morales. I'm talking but, but, about yeah, Peter yeah. Parker. But, but in this universe, the next most beloved one arguably is Iron Man. And like they spent a lot of time building up his relationship with Tony not Stark. Not from so. the comic books. Not from the comic That's books. fine, but Iron this, is, this is in the comic book though. And like in, in this in this universe though, that kill, kill, killing off Iron Man is like is supposed to mean a lot to him. Like he's he's already experienced some loss. So it's like- If it wasn't for, if it wasn't for the popularity of Iron Man bringing in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, they wouldn't have been able to do what they're doing with the multiverse. Right. The, the multiverse, it, it comes from the comic book lore. I get it, but I'm just saying like, I don't know if you have to kill one of, kill Aunt May. I mean, maybe I just like Marissa Tomei so much. I, I I love Marissa Tomei. Maybe Marissa Tomei is just like, all right, I'm done with this. It I sounds like that also might have been the case. Apparently, she also made some comments elsewhere about how she had, she hadn't totally like enjoyed the character as much as like she had hoped to or didn't really. What well, I haven't read a ton about that. That was that's another thing I heard in the podcast, but which was surprising to me. I just assumed everyone was having a great old time making these movies. Uh, so if she wanted to be killed off, then I'm I guess I'm more okay with it. Um, when, when it comes to these movies, they want you to think that people are having a good old time. That's what makes, you know, movie magic, movie magic, because if they were having a terrible time and they show that off screen, would you be taken away from the movie? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, yeah, for sure. I mean, if, I guess what, I guess my point overall is that like, if Marissa Tomei didn't want to be there, she didn't want to be there. If she wanted to be there, then like, I'm guess I'm kind of annoyed. All right. Well, I guess we, oh, actually, let me go back and ask about your theater experience then, because, uh, I was a little surprised that you were eight days past. Uh, you saw it, I guess, or you saw it on this past Sunday night, correct? And yes, or no, I or you saw see it Saturday, on December twenty fifth. I saw it on. Christmas oh, you, saw it on Saturday. you saw it on Christmas, so like, that's why it was probably a bigger day at the movies, and uh, you probably there with all of our fellow Jews. Uh, but the exactly. Uh, but like that, that was still like nine days after the first showings of this movie, so it was still pretty crowded. Did the did, did the did the crowd like kind of like go totally ape shit when uh, uh, Garfield first showed up? Yep. Okay. They went completely crazy. And, and, you know, it was fun, honestly, because that was the thing that I missed the most about the movies as just the, the, you know, people humming and hawing when things are happening on screen. Everyone's laughing at the same time. Everyone's, you know, sobbing uncontrollably at the same time. And, and I did miss that magic of the movies. But and I'm not going to lie to you, Josh. I'm really good not going to a theater anytime in the near future because the one thing that I did forget is people bring their children crying for some reason to an evening movie. Uh, yeah, well, I'm actually like for as much of a movie theater diehard as I am, uh, I've been back in the theater since a month before I got the vaccine. I couldn't yeah. stay away. I actually am not as like much of a uh, a hard ass on like bringing kids into the theater because like I understand that like it's already expensive to go to the movies and babys th- babysitters are expensive. But like if I guess there's also a difference between like a baby and like an eight year old. But like if your kid just starts being disruptive at that point, then it's on you to take them out of the theater. And then you're being a bad person if you don't take them out of the theater at that point. 
Yeah, we had people behind us who were like moving and showing a light in the middle of the movie. So we Mm. got taken away for a little bit. We had kids who were like crying and just like yelling, talking to the screen, like with their first words and stuff. So that that was the one part about my movie going experience that I did not miss, because at least when I'm watching the movie on my own terms, I can, you know, pause play wherever I want. I don't feel like I'm interrupting anybody if I want to say something and I'm not interrupted if anybody else wants to say something. Well, well, even if it's um at your drive-in, I don't know if it reopened. I, I would still recommend. No, it didn't. All right. Well, I would still recommend because it's not going to be as crowded at this point because it didn't even make a lot of money to begin with. I would still recommend going back for West Side Story and then going back into movie hibernation until uh, the next Marvel movie or whatever, because uh, West Side Story is really good and it looks really good and it's probably much more beneficial to see that on the big screen. I, but, uh, I actually went to, to the same theater camp the same time as Ansel Elgort, um, which was really fun because they did an interview on um, the Drew Barrymore shore where I performed. So that was kind of fun. Interesting. Well, I guess the, the, the larger reason I was asking about your movie experience is that one, I was just curious, like if you're going nine days after the fact, are you getting the same kind of Marvel diehards that are just going to scream at everything? Uh, and because I, I had to deal with that, having seen it on the first Friday night. Um, but like, I mean, I was just kind of interested, intrigued because again, I didn't really have a full understanding of how, about how people felt about Andrew Garfield, because you used this term earlier, he redeemed himself though. It was kind of my understanding that like, uh, you know, he he wasn't the reason that people didn't like those movies at the time. And people kind of like, at least, you know, they, they were like, all right, we wish you had more to work with here. It was not so, his fault. So, so, so everyone but, agrees. So I don't think I'd ever totally grasp that. I think I'd seen some people defend him, but I didn't realize like, he, I, I, if you would have asked me if I was expecting him to get that kind of reception, I don't really know if I would have actually like, been prepared for that so what did you think about because we already talked broadly about him as spider-man and compared it and a little bit about how we thought they did utilizing these characters but what did you think about actually what did you how did you actually feel seeing him come back into the fold and see him seeing him interact with these characters when he first came on the screen he's it felt like he was natural honestly like i i will be disappointed if they don't bring him back in some other capacity because i think that he just fits into the role so well especially when given a good script he's He's bubbly, he's light, he's funny. I mean, his comedic timing is perfect. So having him coming back in some capacity, maybe as a mentor or something to um, to Tom Holland's Peter Parker, I, I would love that. I mean, I don't think that we need to explore his universe any more than we already need to, uh, than we already have in this movie. I, but I do think that um, if this is the last that we're seeing of him, that would be a big shame. Yeah, the, the one thing I also thought was really cool was that, like, I hadn't, because it had been nine years since I had seen The Amazing Spider Man, I hadn't really seen him do much that was like, even though, even though they got to talk about some dark stuff here in this movie, I hadn't seen him do anything that was like, quote unquote, fun in quite some time. Uh, you know, yeah, he, tick, he does a lot of serious runs. Yeah, like Tick Tick Boom, like, well, it's, 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 you know, it's fun music. It's pretty heavy subject matter for the most part and, uh, and fairly serious, even though there might be some, a lighthearted moment here or there. He was in the eyes of Tammy Faye, which was kind of played for last, but like, again, playing a fairly like heinous character. And he was in some weird indie movie called mainstream earlier this year. He was in Hacksaw Ridge. He was in uh, silence, both of those in 2016, I want to say. And like, and those are both like super serious and dark. Like he had really like done a lot of this, like very, very like serious, dark stuff 
since uh, since he last did the Spider-Man movie. So I was kind of like blown away by like just like the ease with which he like was on the screen and how he he like had this like relaxed way about him. Or he was still very charming because I just hadn't watched him in the Peter Parker Spider-Man role in quite some time. I mean, he was the best part of the movie for me. Just I'll just say it. like was it the was best just, part of the movie. It, it was just really cool because like, again, being part of like movies that like really weren't that well received. It was cool for him to just like so like be such a standout in a movie like this and like just come across so likable and so um but like also like very mournful and soulful and all that stuff like he really did everything and i i i, I just thought it was like really cool and i was really excited to see him and i mean and for his part like toby mcguire hasn't like been in a live action thing of anything in like eight years so like i mean good job by him for like you know like showing up and i take him thing. leave him honestly if if you're asking me when it comes to andrew garfield the best role that he can have in this universe is putting him in his own movie but introducing miles morales okay well yeah we'll get to that in a little bit we'll talk about that at the end actually i think but like i, I, I and i'll say with you i kind of agree on take it or leaving uh toby because i watched spider-man 2 and while spider-man 2 has some really good parts it, it, it it's just like when you're fresh off of like seeing the Holland stuff as much as I have and then seeing Garfield do what he just did and then also watching Amazing Spider-Man 2, it's just evident that Tobey Maguire is not the same level of actor as those guys, though I actually think I might have enjoyed his acting more in this than I did in Spider-Man 2, for whatever that's worth. I, I It was cool. I, I just liked his presence here. But like, yeah, Andrew Garfield, like, totally the standout and we already touched on earlier like the the discussions that they were having with uh with tom holland spider-man and it was cool it was it was cool seeing them all bond i guess we, we talk i guess we can talk some about this final fight uh because i thought it was pretty interesting how they pulled that off especially after i watched amazing spider-man 2 not just because like garfield saving mj like meant more after seeing that but also like uh, having a better sense of Max Dillon. And yeah. I thought it was, in, I thought they were, I actually think Max Dillon is pretty interesting in Amazing Spider-Man too. I think the bigger problems with that movie are more how they try and shoehorn in Green Goblin, uh, which is like really done in a messy way. And I, I thought like Max Dillon's origin story was actually kind of interesting, but it, you're right. It looked really funny. And he was like almost like too unbelievably socially awkward. Not that like people can't have issues with social, like being socially awkward, but it was just like, like this guy was like literally like somehow existing and having a very important job with an Oscorp or not Oscorp, um, whatever the company is in that movie. Uh, yeah. And having some kind of important job there, despite literally like not having anyone like he was just like almost too weird. And here it was like very strange in that like he seemed like they gave him a different personality, though. I still like the chemistry he had with Garfield when they interacted in this movie and there's like a lot of having to intersect in the final fight with these various villains in in a way that like i just thought was like pretty entertaining and fairly well balanced and uh in a, at least a fairly unique setting to do the on the statue of liberty thing so what did you think of like what this movie ultimately built to that's an interesting question i mean this i i mean the thing is like i i think that the movie itself built to itself because you lay a precedence for the rest of the phase four if you can palette what they're doing with this and bringing in characters from other universes and other movies, and who's to say that you can't bring in Chris Evans as uh, Johnny Storm? I mean, all of it is possible. For yeah. those of you who don't know, by the way, Chris Evans played Johnny Storm in, in Fantastic Four, yeah, and he's I, also Captain America. I think John Watts is going to direct the next Fantastic Four movie, correct? Uh, yes, I, that's, I think that's that, what I, I'm hearing. Uh, I think they're ideally going to want to, I mean, I guess they could have a multiverse thing where he shows up and that would be kind of funny, 
though. I'm, I'm assuming. Why not? Uh, it's America's ass. No, I think they're going to try and find their own uh, Johnny Storm that will actually stick, unlike the last unsuccessful one, even if I liked all the actors that were in the failed one a few years ago. But but I, again, pu- putting up another point that Michael B. Jordan was also in that movie. So you might as well have some fun with it. That's that's kind of like I said. Yeah, that came out before. That, that, came out, that came out before Creed. So like it was before he really blew up. It did, it did. The possibilities are endless when it comes to this is the point. And I, and I think that what they were trying over here is it was a massive experiment. They did it with Into the Spider-Verse. It worked successfully. What I heard is after the end of um, Spider-Man Far From Home, they didn't really know what to do with this character um, when they ended up revealing his identity to the world. So the multiverse was thrown out there and they have been teasing it over and over again. A lot of this is leading up to Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, but it's also leading to things like Secret Invasion, like She-Hulk, like, you know, Young Avengers. I I mean, there's so much that they're going to be doing with this universe. But I think in a way to not only give these characters that kind of led Phase 2 and Phase 3 their own due, but to sort of give them an opportunity to lend themselves to the rest of the universe. So... I, 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 like I said, my, my answer is a built to itself. This yeah. was, this was the big deal. Yeah. I, I guess, I, I guess what I liked was it seemed like they just found ways to like give all the villains interesting beats with their specific Spider-Man throughout. Even, Why not? Yeah. Yeah. Even like, uh, Toby's like last like ditch effort to like prevent, uh, prevent Peter from killing, uh, Green Goblin. Uh, like even even that like had some resonance with me, despite not having seen any of the Toby movies in some time. Like I said, there was some interesting back and forth between uh, Garfield and Max Dillon. Like I, I just thought they I thought they fit a lot of interesting stuff in there, and while at the same time like bringing it to a natural head, where it's like I I, I we, they've done such a good job of setting up Peter and all of his friends in this world that it really meant something Peter when he had to like. <laughs> what, what did I say? I, yeah, I like that you said Peter and all of his friends. I like. I feel like that should be the name of the movie, Peter and all his friends. Oh well, yeah. I, I always. I guess just mainly his two friends, but that like it, it really meant something when he had to like make that decision. And I, 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 I truly felt the stakes of it, and it was kind of cool that like it. I mean, yeah, a lot of a lot of bad stuff would have happened in the world if like they hadn't. Um, if they hadn't done it there, but it was, it was different from the stakes of like having to save the world. Like it all just kind of like turned on someone having to like make a decision like that. And not, not, I guess like completely dissimilar from like Tony sacrificing himself in Endgame, but it was different in that. Like this was more like something that was like, he, he was just having to make some personal sacrifice that he was going to actually have to live with. And it was in, unique in that way. And it, and, it, and it puts the character back in an interesting place that gives them a lot of possibilities moving forward. But did you have any last, any, any other final thoughts on just like the fight or, I mean, we, I guess we already touched on like Garfield saving MJ. I'm, it sounded like I'm sure that resonated with you. Was there anything else we want to touch on for the actual fight before we talk about the future of Spider-Man? Uh, I'm when it comes to the fight, not, not really, because I thought I love that, um, you know, Ned and, and, MJ were involved in, you know, helping with it. I, I can't wait to see what's going on with their little duo. Um, hope, hoping that it doesn't end up, uh, you know, with the two of them being a thing and then uh, making Peter sad. But I, I Ned, Ned, so Ned, happy- Ned, Ned has been friend zone. I can tell you that already. I, I never know. <laughs> when you don't have a Peter around, you never know what can happen. <laughs> but I think, I, I, think, I, I, think, I think MJ, like, if you put someone like Zendaya on MIT's campus, like, I think she is going to, like, you know, She's going to have her pick of the litter, if you know what I'm saying. Hey, you never know. One of them is going to be one Norman Osborn son. So, hey, Harry Osborn might be a, a character. Who knows? But I think that 
in, in any case, when you bring these actors back into the roles that you know and love them from, even if you've never seen any of their other stuff, again, case in point, Alfred Molina, Tevia, amazing. Oh, let me ask one other question, though, before we talk about the uh, what we want to see going forward in Spider-Man. Yeah. Um, what do you... Uh, so the idea was that like these villains they they got sent back like right before when they in theory would have died right yeah um, they, they they don't remember their own death yeah okay so now i I've, I've now seen the amazing spider-man 2 and i guess in theory max dylan dies like you know uh right right about when mj dies too do you think there should have been like at least some like mention of the fact that, like hey maybe like garfield would have wanted to have, like kind of like followed him back there or something like that. If there's like some kind of like element to where he can go back to that moment. Is it weird? They didn't acknowledge that, like the possibility of something like that. That he can go back to when uh, Gwen before Gwen dies. Um, yeah, it, I, I don't think it's weird that they acknowledge that because I think that the no, entire no, they didn't. point is, yeah, I, I, I think that the entire point is that it makes you who you are and that you can't necessarily go back in time. I mean, like even Dr. Strange said that the time stone is, is not with him. It isn't. So that's not even a possibility that it can lend itself to, but I don't find it strange. I think that the whole point of it is that every other Spider-Man was really freaking dark and that they're killing off these characters and that Tom Holland's like so pure that he's just like, what do you mean they're dead? <laughs> I got you. Well, okay. So that, that was just like one thought I had after seeing Amazing Spider-Man 2. So I was cu- I was curious about that. I guess this will also, t- I, 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 we were talking before we recorded about like a, like a Hawkeye related thing. And, I, and we, we, uh, that, we'll, we'll get to that in a minute, I guess. So I guess my next question for you, though, would be, what do you want to see next in terms of a live action Spider-Man? Do you want another Holland movie? Would you would, do you want the animated movie Spider Verse movies to be seen through before you see a live action Miles Morales? Where do you think it should go exactly next? Because where they leave uh, Peter, like it's, it's there, there's a lot of possibilities. Like if Tom Holland really wanted to walk away, it's not a bad way for the character to go out. But there's I think I feel like there's infinite possibilities if he like does want to come back. So have you? I'm sure you've given a lot of thoughts. Like I what have, sh- I have what, a theory. What, I- what what should be next? I have a theory, and my theory okay. is very, very out there. But my theory is that in the next um, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, that Miles Morales is going to end up at the end of that movie as a live-action character, and he's going to end up in somebody else's universe. That's just my theory. Ooh, I had not even—I've heard. I've listened to a lot of content as I kept, as I've been referencing on this podcast so far, and that is one I have not heard. Listen, that's the way. That, that's how. How else are you going to introduce this character, man? I—I well, I mean, well, so one thing he, I had heard because it kind of hints at like Tom Holland taking some kind of step back was like you had mentioned Garfield earlier, like mentoring Holland or mentoring Miles Morales. Could like Tom Holland mentor Miles Morales? I don't think Tom Holland should mentor Miles Morales. He has to deal with his own thing. I mean, he just, they, they even, um, they kind of allegorically sort of lead to the fact that he needed Aunt May to wash his suit. And now he is an orphan who needs his GED. Whereas two weeks before that, he was thinking about going to MIT. So realistically speaking, he needs to deal with his own shit before he's adopting he's, a kid. He's, he's not just an orphan with that needs a ged we don't even know if he has like a like a, a social security number a driver's license or anything like, i want to know even... all of these does does he have a social security somebody tell me this yeah i've seen some podcasts really going down the rabbit hole about like so what happens to pictures of him or what happens to like uh when mj looks at her camera roll or or anything like that and like that that didn't I, concern I me quite this, as much i think that the spell is really good and i think that the spell is going to remove any trace of him i feel like there's so, there's so many movies where something like this happens that they're very thorough about it and i think that they don't need to 
you know, work too hard to replicate that from other movies. Well, so I, I, I get what you're so I get what you're saying like uh, Miles Morales could come back in as a, like a, a live action character at the end of Spider Verse, but like, do you like think that like we just get a live action Miles Morales movie like then at some point like uh, three years from 2022, but like in 2024 we get another Holland movie where he has to go back and uh, figure out how to win back MJ without even uh, casting the spell, uh, undoing the spell, or where do you yeah, see it going I, with him? I think it's going to be or, standalone. Or, or like, could it be like a, could MJ just go away and we get a movie of him just like fighting crime more street level in New York without the help of the Stark tech and maybe having to consult uh, his attorney, Matt Murdock every now and then, or something like that. Like, or maybe it's a duo with Matt Murdock as Daredevil with, um, and I feel like we should have talked about that more by the way, but it's okay. I'm very happy that he's back. Welcome back to, you know, Marvel reality, Matt Murdock. <laughs> Um, but I, yeah, I, I think that there's a lot of application for it. They're, they're really trying to formulate him as the next Iron Man. They have, they, they had so much leading up to it. He is, they are going to need to do something for him, whether or not Tom Holland wants to stay in the role or not, I think remains to be seen, but I think regardless that they, he deserves something to end his character's arc if he's going to be done with that this is not this is not the end of his arc we need to find some path home for him no pun intended so sorry for oh, all it, of they, make another, they, they make another they make another movie it's gonna have home in the title so it, i mean i I, have, I i mean like so i would actually we were speculating one of them is like spider-man homeostasis nah. spider-man homebound or something like that. Uh, homeward bound yeah exactly. <laughs> with the little animals yeah uh, it's, it's going to be something like that if they do make one with him. So I, I, I get what you're saying about maybe him not being a mentor to Miles, but like Miles could pop out. I think I think that we need to do something with Andrew Garfield. I think that's the thing. Andrew Garfield he wants is too, to. By all means, please, God, bring him back into this world and let him mentor Miles Morales, something like that. Apparently the character did mean a lot to Garfield from what I understand, like before he ever did it, like he, so he really does actually care about it. Like, you know, he, he's a British guy who's done a lot of like more prestigious fare, like in, in a he's way a nice like Jewish boy. And he's also born in America, by the way. True. But okay. Yeah. It looks like he moved to Brit Surrey when he was three, but like, you know, I guess the idea being like a, a classically trained British actor though, that like has done as much stuff as he has done. And like, he, he, yeah, he's only been, he's only been nominated for one Oscar, but he, he should have like three by now, probably like between uh, social network and silence, yeah. social, show, social network and, um, and for silence. Cause I did not think Hacksaw Ridge was his best. Um, so. And like, in like, he's done other, he's done other good stuff too. And it's just like, I can see like, sometimes you think like, oh, an actor like that might just think they're above something like this. But I, I, I feel like I've seen different places. Like he felt a connection to the character and maybe they could convince him to come back though. I'm wondering, I'm, I'm also like genuinely curious how much they paid him and Toby uh, to do this. I, I uh -huh. want them to re release it, release it, Kevin Feige. I want to know. But, but as far um, as like, well, as far as what they, as far as what they owe Tom though, like it could just be like, he, he, you said they were setting up for the next Iron Man. Like maybe if they pay him some of the way they paid Robert Downey Jr. Yeah. after seeing how much money this movie made, like that might be enough to get him to stick around too. I, I think he made something like $4 million for the last one. I'm not a hundred percent sure. Another good, I mean, like just to not to continue talking about Andrew Garfield, which I feel like we can do an entire two hour podcast, just talking about him. Um, there's never let me go, which is a really good movie. It has Keira Knightley and Carrie Mulligan in it. Also British movie. Um, that, is, that is on, that is downloaded on my iPad right now on HBO max. So fantastic. So, uh -huh. 
Okay. It's so fantastic. It, it's a little, it's a little fucked up though. Not gonna lie. Um, and then um, another fucked up, really good thing that he was in. He played um, a massive character in Angels in America, Part One, Millennium Approaches, and Part Two, Perestroika. I think he won a Tony Award for um, for one or the other. Um, it's a two part play that they recorded for the National Theater. Watch it. Just trust me on this. It his portrayal of this is the reason why Lin-Manuel Miranda wanted to cast him in Tick, Tick, Boom. If people didn't think that he had the charisma for Spider-Man, they can tell that he has the ability to have it now because um, he, he, he deserves something like this for the future. He is just such a magnanimous actor that he, they need more. We need more of him. I just want more Andrew Garfield all the time. Okay. I know I, I I'm, I'm, Hundred percent with you on that. After watching this movie, uh, last question because I guess you you might know more about the um, comics than I do. Like a lot of people have been chattering since new characters have been getting introduced and younger ones. They've been talking about a young Avengers type thing. I don't know what all that entails. I would think that Spider Man is too big for that now. But you know the but the the, the one thing that like uh, my friend my friend Joe who you've done the podcast with before he the one thing he was annoyed about was this thing I was telling you about earlier where he thought there was going to be like some kind of crossover at some point like he thought like I think I think it might have to, I actually think it might have to do more with like the the Sony Marvel relationship and how it'd be complicated to just like have Spider-Man even show up in a small cameo for a fight like that but like the thing was like I, I he he thought that there was no point in like showing that tree and both Hawkeye and Spider-Man going on at the same time uh, with Rogers, the musical, like hinting that like, look, this is New York at the same time in the holidays because this musical is going on. He seemed to think it was kind of pointless to like show those two things going on at the same time when the Hawkeye series season finale was going on right afterward. And then like not have any kind of like mention to Spider-Man, any like uh, appearance of Spider-Man. And like, it was like, shouldn't he have been like at least flying by or something or, or no, I, he I actually, don't- he actually thought yeah. he should have joined in in the fight because like that would have been a cool way to like, you know, uh, maybe be the beginning of him, like actually kind of getting back into the consciousness after he's been wiped from everywhere. He could have like the dividends for this have way. not paid yet. In my personal opinion, there's no way that they would be blocking the year for Aunt May's death if it wasn't going to come back in the future. I know that you, you said, you know, before, I don't know if it was on or off the podcast that um, it was to take away from it. Um, it very definitively, this is taking place in December of 2024. I have a feeling that there will be a reason why that we just don't know it yet. Hmm. Interesting. Oh, wait, wait, I, I think wait, it's gonna wait, come wait, 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 that Hawkeye took place then or that Spider-Man took place then? Both. Oh, Both okay. them. Yeah, they're, they're taking place simultaneously. It is right after the blip. It's right after everything that's happening. He's hanging out with his kids and he's going to you know, the musical and stuff like that. But decides, definitively, it's supposed to be December 2024. Yeah, I was kind. I kind of got. I kind of got what Joe was saying though. Where it was like, oh, that would have been cool if like Hawkeye had to be the guy that he had to reintroduce himself to, or something like that. And then, and then seeing how that went, or like it would have been really personally cool for me for him to like share the screen with like Florence Pugh and Haley Steinfeld. Like that would have been cool. I, I, I see what you mean, but I think that there should that everybody should be allowed to share their own like to have their own limelight without having to share it. And especially, yeah, that, that, would, know, that would have taken away that would have, that would have taken away from my girl Haley. Absolutely. I, she's a young Avenger, by the way. So spoiler alert, she's definitely gonna be in Young Avengers. Um, she nailed her role. Oh my god, your your girl Haley Seinfeld is also having a year between that and Dickinson. My God. But she I think that you you did a good job with bringing Elena into the universe after having her in Black Widow and having her 
line up with Clint Barton, but I think anything outside of that is just unnecessary. What's so strange though is that like, I mean, again, yes, Haley's my girl, but like she is not like chosen the path of being a movie star in the same way that Florence Pugh is now on that track. Like Haley, like Dickinson is great. She seems to inexplicably want to be a, a singer though. And it, it would seem weird. Like it seems like they're setting up some kind of like Hawkeye, like she's the new she's the new Hawkeye, but and uh Yelena is the new Black Widow, and then maybe they'll do stuff together. But like I think Florence Pugh is like almost too big to do a TV show like full time like that, where she's like part of a big ensemble when she is like legitimately like a all out movie star now. Whereas Haley hasn't been in a movie in three years, and, and, and like when she did Bumblebee. So like, I I I'm just curious where they're gonna go with that. It's just it's just hard well, it's hard well, it's hard to ignore that Tom Holland is like the same age as them too, and that's why my well, you, my head was kind of there. You have Vincent D'Onofrio's Fisk in the Hawkeye series, spoiler alert, and then you have um, Charlie Cox's Daredevil in Spider-Man. So Mm -hmm. there is already a connection between the two of them. It just doesn't have to be more overt than that. Right. Like they're letting you know, hey, we're in the same universe. But I think that they did enough fan service that you just don't need to overdo it. Then it's going to become tacky, you know? Yeah, and I guess if they do like a Miles Morales thing that's coming out in theory, like, you know, not far from when the next Tom Holland thing could come out, like there could be like, you know, subtle but not too forced of like references slash crossovers where hopefully they just wouldn't like overdo it, I guess. Yeah, I listen, there's been so many references and crossovers over the last couple of years. I think what they're trying to do is they they have done a good job working to expand the universe. The universe is now expanded. It's exploding, as a matter of fact. You're going to see more of Charlie Cox and She-Hulk because she is very famously also an attorney. So he's definitely going to be in that. Um, and it's very also very much part of the comic books as well that uh, She-Hulk and Daredevil have a thing. Hmm. So there's there's so much that they have coming up with TV shows that I think that those small doses in the TV shows is what they're trying to aim towards. That way you have some big movies, but realistically speaking, we are going to be overloaded next year with movies. You might as well take the little bits and give everybody their due. I mean, you still have Guardians of the Galaxy. You have Thor Love and Thunder. You have there's so much that is coming up that I, I feel like overdoing it is going to give you like a sensory overload and it's just going to make you tired. I, I don't want to yeah. fatigue. And I'm already kind of worried about that happening with all these Star Wars shows that are coming. I don't know. Like I, I'm like, this is so many of them that have also been announced. And like, for some reason that seems like more like daunting to me than the Marvel shows that have been announced. I don't know why. So hopefully because you're right. One, well, I, I mean, a lot of the, the Star Wars shows are not coming from original content. I mean, they have books, the books exist, but like, the book of Boba Fett is, I think it's original content. I don't think it's coming from anything um, in particular. So um, versus the comic books where they have, you know, decades of, of stories that they just, they now have an opportunity to put on the screen. I mean, let's, let's consider it this way. Um, Marvel was supposed to be sold to another movie studio for like $400,000, something mm. disgustingly small like that. And then by the time that Disney ended up buying it, it was the best investment that they have ever made. And they are just trying to make it so we don't get tired of them. And I don't blame them for it. If it's going to be their best investment. Plus, they, I mean, like even the, the tiny little Star Wars crossover that they had in, you know, in the Spider-Man movie where you had uh, the Emperor's little Lego toy um, that he that Ned, it was Ned's Lego toy that, that Peter Parker kept really cute. 
Um, but I, I think that these little touches are going to, A, it's going to remind people, oh, shit, Disney owns that too. That's great. But B, it's also going to make sure that you just don't get overtired from everything. And I, I don't blame them for wanting to do that. It's a smart business decision. And if there's anybody that we should trust when it comes to this, it's Kevin Feige. He had the vision. He and Amy Pascal laid the groundwork for this. So that way we can see a movie where there's three freaking Spider-Man, five villains. There's a whole lot of nonsense going on. And you're like, this is a great movie. It could be a potential Oscar contender. We were not going to be able to think that in 2008 when the first Iron Man came out. People were just annoyed by the fact that in that same year, a shitty Hulk came out. True, true. So I just realized another problem with me uh, getting Haley too involved with this stuff is that like she's also the voice of Gwen Stacy in the Spider-Verse movies. She is so, all the voice of Gwen Stacy. That, 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 that could get even more convoluted. Um, uh, Maya, any other final thoughts on Spider-Man No Way Home before we uh, wrap up? I really hope that he finds a way home. <laughs> Homeward Bound, uh, coming in 2025. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'll, I'll just reiterate, uh, give Andrew Garfield whatever he wants. Um, I think Absolutely. Maya, Maya agrees with that as well. Uh, Maya, before hey, we get- Call me, call me. I'm, I'm engaged, <laughs> but my fiance won't mind either. <laughs> <laughs> you, you told me that he was in tears the whole movie, so I think I think he's in the tank for him he as was. well, right? Dustin cried the entire movie. He really, really enjoyed it. I, I also he plays the video game, so he loves all the Spider-Man video games. There's also like a whole controversy about them changing the way that he looks from like a hybrid between Tommy McGuire and Andrew Garfield to looking exactly like Tom Holland. So he was like very emotionally invested in this movie. Mm. All right, uh, you just you just recently had uh, some uh, transatlantic flights. Were you watching anything? Anything else you want to recommend? You have consumed recently. Ooh, that's a good one. I actually, I'm going to go back to an oldie, but a goodie. Um, I watched Biloxi Blues for the first time on my flight. And as it's a Neil Simon film starring Matthew Broderick and starring Christopher Walken. And Christopher Walken as a villain. And you it, did you call it Biloxi Blues? Biloxi Blues. Isn't it Biloxi? I'm the one that's from that area. It's, no, no, I'm, I'm from South Florida. I apologize to anybody from Mississippi. I do not know how to I think it's Biloxi. It's Biloxi. Yes. Biloxi Blues is mm -hmm. what I watched and I liked it. That's that is what I liked. Oh no, good. Okay. So where did you watch that? Was that like an option on your plane? It was an option on the plane. Yeah. I took okay. a I took a, a a flight and they had like a whole set of movies. I wa I watched a couple of old um so I, where I was, I actually watched a ton of movies, but I was in Israel and so they have these movie channels that Channel number one is more of like a action drama. Channel number two is like violent action. Channel number three is rom-coms. So I was on channel number three the entire time. I was just like getting my, my due with rom-coms. I saw every single like shitty rom-com from like 2002 until the present day. Um, so I was kind of like in a mood for it, but then I was, um, you know, going through and I saw this. I'm like, eh, I've never seen this movie. I really mm. like Neil, si Neil Simon. I might as well watch it. I appreciate the recommendation because it's a Mike Nichols movie. I'm always interested in watching uh, Mike Nichols movies, so uh, yeah. that's that, that that that's a that's a good one from you. I I will recommend uh, Station Eleven. It's the new show on HBO that just came out. That's I think at, by the time people listen to this, I guess they will have released maybe episodes six and seven. The first five are out as of this recording. Uh, I totally understand anyone that doesn't want to watch it because it's a show about a pandemic, and uh, but that that was in production that was in production in January 2020. 
So they had some uh, kind of interesting timing on that one based on a book that came out in like 2011. So it's not like they were trying to capitalize on the current moment or anything, uh, but it's like about a pandemic that, but like it, it takes place like in various different timelines. Like some of it's like in the 90 days after the start of that, some of it is, you know, 20 years after it, some of it is like 15 years before where it just follows these different characters at different points in their lives and how certain moments kind of like, you know, stay with them in various points as they're living in a post-apocalyptic world. Uh, it has uh, Mackenzie Davis, Gail Garcia Bernal, and Himesh Patel, who people might know from yesterday, a couple of years ago, uh, the, the the Beatles, Richard Curtis movie, but playing a more like serious, straightforward role. Um, and in like an incredible, uh, just like a, uh, an incredible child actor's performance from uh, an actress named Matilda Lothar, who uh, plays like a, a younger version of the Mackenzie Davis character, who's like a child actor, um, who then kind of grows into this Mackenzie Davis character that in the post-apocalyptic world is kind of traveling around the Great Lakes area, just performing Shakespeare, uh, because people want to like grab onto anything they can like can from the prior world. And it's, it's not, at least what I've seen so far, it's like not as bleak and not as graphic about showing that pandemic, but you just kind of know it happened. Uh, in most instances. So if I totally get if no one wants to watch it, but it's like, uh, I think it's like very, very well done. And I watched the first five episodes in a few days. So uh, that is my recommendation. You had me at Mackenzie Davis. Yeah, very interesting actress. And I, I'd be curious to see what you thought of that because uh, I, I I can't like give it as strong a recommendation like when I recommended like, you know, like so stuff like Succession or The Great to You because like I just know that would be your thing. I can't in good conscience recommend like a pandemic show to everyone and be like, that would be your thing because like who knows how you're going to react to that kind of content, but it's called Station 11 and it's on HBO Max. Um, Maya is a uh, blank slate so she doesn't really have other social media to plug i'm as usual at josh Chernovoy, j-o-s-h-j-u-r-n-o-v-o-y on twitter and letterbox the podcast email is the rewind movie pod at gmail.com the twitter is at rewind movie pod send any feedback that way uh coming up next on the podcast uh I don't really know exactly what because I'm still scheduling stuff, but I have guests in theory booked to talk about licorice pizza and Encanto and don't look up and Red Rocket. So I'm hopefully seeing like all those movies or uh, I've already seen some of them, but I'm hopefully like doing podcasts on all of them in the next two weeks. So uh, stay tuned for that as well as just about anything else that could get nominated for best picture because we're going to hit all that. I think our friend Fred oddly put in a request for the King's Men, which honestly, I wasn't sure I was going to see in theaters until he asked for it. But now I'm probably going to try and go see it at some point in the next week. So uh, plenty of stuff coming up. Uh, Thanks again to Maya for joining. Thanks to everyone for listening. And we'll see you next time.